Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Church at Blue Ridge. It's good to see you all here this morning. We're going to be continuing today in the series we started last week. So if you could turn your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Last week, we started a six-week series sharing the vision and mission, starting next week, the core values of the church at Blue Ridge. This is our opportunity to share with you all that God has given to Robert and I uh, last year, as a matter of fact, as we begin to come together and, and pray through what this church was that God was calling us to plant in this part of the county. And we entitled the, the theme, or I entitled the theme, Here Am I, Send Me. Here Am I, Send Me. We looked at that Isaiah passage in Isaiah 6. Who shall we send? Who, who will go in Isaiah's great declaration? And that's really the theme and the heart of our church, that we be a church, that we're a church that, that keeps mission on the front end, that is constantly reminded of what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be so that so as we become more established, we don't follow the path of so many churches where they just become, uh, the old quote, the frozen chosen. That's what we want to stay away from. And so last week we looked at vision, our vision statement. Today we're going to be looking at our mission statement. And really the question I put before you the question, think of yourself as examiners. How well does our mission statement line up with the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ gives the church in Matthew 28? That's really the heart of today's service. You'll see the title, Rescue, Not Religion. The church has been called to join the Lord in his rescue mission of his children. The redemptive mission that is what human history is all about. And so that's what we're going to be going today. And mission is so important. Mission is really the heartbeat of an organization. As the mission goes, so goes the organization, or so changes the organization. And so for us, vision guides us as a people. It's really God telling us who we are. Mission then is telling us and keeping us on what we are to do. So as the vision, vision guides, the mission is the heart. And the core values I see is really the fence that protect the mission and keep us on the path that God has for us. Now, long ago, there was an institution started. You'll know it. It's probably the most famous college in our country, Harvard University. And believe it or not, I did not know this until this week, but Harvard was started 18 years after the Mayflower landed. That's how old this school is. And it was the first of what we know now as the Ivy League schools. And at one time, all of these Ivy League schools, Harvard being the leader, were started to train men to be missionaries and pastors. And you'll see the seal up on the screen. This is the original seal of Harvard. You'll even find this in some locations on the campus today. And you can see in the middle there, you have the word split up on three different books, Veritas. And that's Latin for truth. But you'll see some other Latin words around it. Really what that says in English is, is Christ in the church. That was the mission of Harvard. That's why it existed. In fact, the top two books represent the Old Testament and New Testament. They're facing up. The bottom book, you can't tell, is actually facing down. That's the idea that we don't know now. From this point on, we don't know the future, but God's going to be sovereign over that. And that's the original seal. And that's what they stood for. But over time, as we know, their mission changed. And you'll see this next picture is their seal today. Sometime in the late 1800s, as liberalism was infecting all of the college schools and seminaries in our nation, they dropped Christ in the church and just kept truth. In fact, they took that bottom book and turned it up, 
totally destroying the whole meaning of the three books. And we know now today Harvard, like all of the Ivy League schools, unfortunately, are on the opposite side, very left-leaning, very progressive. And so this is just an example of what will happen if we don't stay on the mission and we allow those false teachers to come in and change the mission and thus change the organization. Uh, I love this passage from John. John's great because he writes this incredible gospel account. And then at the very end, he gives us his mission statement. He turns from third person to second person, now addressing the audience who is anticipating reading this great account of the gospel. And look what he says. But these are written. My gospel account is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's a great mission. And that echoes our mission here at the church at Blue Ridge. Now, just by way of review, here's our vision statement. We saw this last week, and I told you all last week as we went through this that our mission statement and all four of our core values are in our vision statement. And so each week we'll put this on the board to show you where we're going, and I underline making disciples. There's our mission, making disciples, as we're going to see in Matthew 28. And so, again, as I mentioned, our sermon today is simply looking at the Lord Jesus Christ's mission for the church and then making sure our mission lines up exactly. And the next slide will show you our mission statement. Very simple, flows right out of our vision. This is what God is calling this church to do, to make faithful disciples through the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your grace. We can't thank you enough for calling us to come up here to North Greenville County and to make your word fully known, and to start this church as your New Testament vessel, your sovereign body of people, your people now on this side of the cross, for which you will demonstrate your glory and make the word and the gospel fully known. So, Father, as we study the Great Commission today, our prayer is that you would just impress this upon our hearts like never before. If there's somebody in here today who's not saved, Father, show them their need for repentance and faith. Open the eyes of their heart and lead them to your truth. For those of us who are saved, Lord, put a burden on us or, or strengthen the burden that's already there to be willing to go and make disciples in the places that you call us to for your glory and for your kingdom. We thank you and we love you and we give you this time in Christ's name. Amen. Look with me at Matthew 28. We're going to be in verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. Now, you can find a similar passage at the end of all four gospel accounts. Also, at the beginning of Acts, which we're going to look at with our core value mission in a few weeks. But here in Matthew 28, it's the clearest, most defined of the Great Commission passages. So it's here that we turn. So read with me verses 18. I'm actually going to start in 16. We'll read through down to 20. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we're going to be looking at the latter three verses, as I mentioned, 18 through 20. And there's one word that connects these three verses. And so that's how I've organized my sermon. The word is all. Verse 18, all authority. Verse 19, all nations. Verse 20, all that I have commanded. And so the first thing we're going to look at 
is all authority, his power. Verse 18 is incredibly significant. We don't want to miss it to get to the make disciples part. Look what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, it's interesting because we know that Jesus had authority before the cross. Many times he says the Son of Man has authority on earth to fill in the blank. Again, he is the God-man. So there's a level of authority here he has as the perfect God-man. But something has changed. Something has happened. And what that thing was, was that he died and rose from the grave. And his level of authority, as far as the sphere of his authority, has been uh, given the entire universe, everything, all of heaven and earth now. So it's not that there's new power here. He had the power. But now his power has been authenticated by the fact that he has defeated death, defeated sin, and paid the price on the cross and rose from the grave. And now God, the Father, has given him all authority. So the sphere of authority has enlarged. It's grown. And again, I told you guys, I'm going I'm to give you most of my illustrations from either the Coast Guard or movies. And so what came to mind here is from the movie The Avengers. Now, I'm assuming a lot of you saw the movie The Avengers. If not, just track with me here. There's a scene that I love. It's the final battle. New York City, as always in almost every movie, is under attack, this time by aliens, right? And Captain America's on the ground doing his thing, and he sees a group of police officers trying to figure out what to do, and he sees the chief. We've got a chief right here. And he goes and jumps on top of a car or something, and he starts barking out orders to the chief of police, saying, I need perimeter set up over here, over here, over here, your men doing this and this. And the police is like, who are you, you know? All of a sudden... Like 10 aliens surround Captain America. He just wipes the floor with them. One guy hits with his shield. He goes like 20 feet. And what happens next? That chief of police turns to his men and says, all right, I need a perimeter here. He starts barking the orders that Captain America just gave him. Now, what changed? Captain America was the same before and after those 10 aliens tried to jump him, right? But he demonstrated his power. And now that police officer respected his authority. And obeyed his commands. And that's very similar to what's happening here in verse 18. These 11 disciples, and maybe the larger groups there with them, the 120, this is Jesus who were there with, but they saw him die, and then they saw him raise from, rise from the grave. They did not question his authority, and neither, neither should we. So, very powerful statement by the Lord. But when we see this also... We have to make sure we know this isn't the beginning, okay? A statement like this should get our attention to say, all right, something's happening here. This is kind of the middle of the story. And so we must also go backwards and recognize the fact that this event, this inaugurating of the new covenant, is not the beginning of the redemptive story. It's actually way down past the middle. It's the climatic moment in redemptive history. But this has been in the works all the way back since Genesis chapter 3. Look at the slide on the, the screen. This is just the, kind of the, a few passages from the Old Testament that get us to this point. And it's so important that we look at the Old Testament as a Christian doc, document and that we learn to find Jesus Christ in the Old Testament because redemption began in Genesis chapter 3. That's when the rescue mission started. Genesis 1 and 2 is the first part of the Bible, God's plan for our people. Our ancestors brought sin in. Guess what? Everything changed in Genesis chapter 3. The rescue mission begins. Genesis 3.15, we have the promise of the serpent crusher. One who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And then you see him traced in many passages. Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses tells the people, hey, God's going to send you a prophet like me from your people. 
Uh, in Acts, we see indeed that this passage was talking about Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We love that passage. A child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. More clues to this one who would come. Also, Ezekiel 34, we're told that one's coming. David, the shepherd king. Now, keep in mind, this is 500 years after David was dead in the grave. And then in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the prophecy of the Son of Man. And that's really where what connects mostly with this passage. You'll see this on the next two slides, this Daniel passage. It says, I saw in the night visions, Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that will not be destroyed. So that passage That is one of my favorites, and it lines up most directly with this Great Commission and what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what do we take away from this? What's the application for us? I mentioned earlier, understand the Old Testament. Again, it's it's not just a book of cute little children's stories, right? Learn the covenants. If you understand the covenants in the Old Testament, you'll understand the redemptive mission and all that God has been doing since sin entered, bringing us to this moment of Jesus Christ, cross and resurrection, and the beginning of the new covenant. It will enrich your understanding of the gospel, and it will empower you even more so to join God in mission, which is the whole point of today's passage and sermon. Second, as the title of our sermon tells us today, our mission is not about a religion. It's not about a religion. Too many churches exist as simple religions, man-made, really just status quo, keeping themselves in business. That's not what the Church of Blue Ridge is going to be about, as long as Robert and I are here and have something to say about it. We are going to join the Lord Jesus in his rescue mission, because that's what Christianity is all about. It's a rescue mission of God's children, and we have to keep our hearts there and the mission of this church there for time to come. Also confidence. This verse 18 in the context of this passage, as we're going to see here in a moment, is all about confidence. As we're being called to go and make disciples, we need to know who our commander is and that he has all authority and all power over all of creation. What a confidence boost as we go forth to know the one we're serving and to know his level of power. He's got our back because this is his mission. This is his mission. And that's important for us to know as we continue on. So, so all authority, his power. We now move on to verse 19. All nations, all nations, his orders. Here's the order that he gives upon his authority as he gives us that great confidence. We see this in the beginning of verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations is where we begin. That word nations is the word ethne, ethne. And you can hear ethnic in there. That's where we get our word ethnic. Usually it's translated Gentile or people. And here it's nations. And you you might remember as you read through the gospel accounts, Jesus is strictly called at that point to the Jews first. There's even times where we we see him going away from the Gentile areas of Israel. He's called to the Jews first. But now is the time where that has been enlarged to all nations. Not Gentiles, not just the Jews anymore, but Gentiles, everybody to the ends of the earth as we'll see in other passages. So all nations, it's pretty important that we see that. 
Also recognize here that these 11 disciples represent a paradigm for all who would follow Jesus after. There are representatives. And what's really cool, just think about this for a moment. We're in this room today, those of us who are God's children, who are believers, because of this event. Because they obeyed. These 11 men obeyed this command. And the one he would give later in Acts 1.8. And as a result, we are here. We're followers of Christ almost 2,000 years later. That just blows my mind if I sit and meditate on that one fact. It's incredible. It is, it is incredible. And if you know church history, it's even more incredible because the church has got more wrong than it's gotten right. God has, God has maintained his rescue mission through us, but also in spite of us. It's a beautiful thing to stop and think about. Beautiful thing. Let's look at a couple other passages, too, as we talk about all nations. Look at this from Genesis 12. You're just 12 chapters into the Bible. This is the call of Abraham. He's the first Jew, if you will, the beginning of the nation of Israel, this vehicle to bring forth his plan, his rescue mission, his Messiah. And look at the promise we see in the Abrahamic covenant. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look at that promise. That's a direct promise of the Messiah who would come from Abraham's body, Jesus Christ. All nations, not just the Jewish people, but all nations would be blessed. So there's the beginning of that story. Now let's fast forward to the end, which we haven't even gotten to in this glimpse from Revelation 5.9 in this presentation of the Lamb. And they sang a new song. So this is in heaven at the end. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Look at this. From every tribe and language and people and nation. There's the end of the story. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It's for everybody, regardless of any of our demographics that we might categorize them with. It's for all nations, and that must be our heart as well, all nations. Now, back up in verse 19, and let's look and see what the mission is to all nations. Go and make disciples. Now, the word there, two words, make disciples, is actually one word in the Greek. It's kind of a compound word, and it brings together these, these two thoughts of, of learning and becoming and continuing in that learning. So you're the initial aspect of learning and then the continual. Make disciples. Now, make disciples is the primary command. We call that an imperative. It is the imperative command in this passage. It, it's the heart of what we're to do. But God also gives us in this three participles which help us to understand this. And the first one is go. And the way in which the, uh, the grammar here, and I am not a grammar expert, not even with the English grammar, by the way. In fact, Kendra over here, uh, we worked at the same church together for a time, and she was my editor when I was in school. She can amen that I am not good at grammar. But I read some really smart people this week, and, and they taught me that the way this is constructed in the original language, the make disciples and go, is that go is also given command force, if you will. So the best way to translate this is go and make. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, we don't have to... Find, now, for some, this is true, but we don't. It, it, what this isn't saying is we have to go find somewhere to go. Like, I've got to think of some special place on the planet to go. Now, for some, that's going to be the case. But simply what this is saying is as you're going or having gone or along the way, make disciples. 
There's the assumption is we're going to be going because we live life. We're people. We've got a lot of things to do, a lot of places to go. So as you're living life, make disciples. And this, this lines up well with what we talked about last week that, that, you know, Robert and I, if we try to do all the work in the ministry, we couldn't do much. But if we look to you and say, you know what, your areas that you're in are your mission fields, your job place, your family, your neighborhood, organizations you're involved with. As you're going, as we're going corporately, let's make disciples. Let's make disciples. That's kind of the idea there. I remember in the, in the 90s, I was saved around 1995. God saved me. In my first four years as a believer, I got involved in youth ministry down in Florida. And we went on a youth trip in 1998, the summer of 1998, my first mission trip with an organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We went to Kansas City, Missouri. We did all these great things. It was a great trip. We did all these great things at the, at the special place as a youth group, sharing the gospel, serving people's needs. And we came back, and I remember thinking, wait a minute. Everything we went to Kansas City to do, we could do in Tampa Bay on a weekly basis. Why aren't we doing it? And it would be a lot less money, too. We don't have to pay $1,500 to do it. We don't have to go find that special place. We have enough mission to do. But then at the same time, we are also called, as we'll talk about in a few weeks, to the ends of the earth. So for some, that might be that special place. But until God reveals that, let's just assume as, as we're going along the way, Make disciples in the mission fields God has given us today. There's an old saying that God's not going to call you to do full-time what he's not already using you to do part-time. So do missions where you're at, and then let's see where God calls us beyond here as far as planting churches locally, across the country, and even sending missionaries to the ends of the earth. So go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's the thrust of this. So for us today, first question we ask is, what is a disciple? And here's a great, great quote by D.A. Carson. A disciple is someone who hears, understands, and obeys Jesus' teaching. Who hears, understands, and obeys Jesus' teaching. So in making disciples, the key for us is, of course, going. Been looking to do more than just simply share the gospel. That's, that's a huge part of it. I love the fact that that Matthew doesn't write, or Jesus doesn't say, go and get people saved. Go and get decisions for me. Go and get people to ask me into their heart. That just doesn't even sound right. But he says, go and make disciples. There's follow-through there. Yes, conversion is part of that. Evangelism is part of that, but it's so much more than that. Imagine if I said, hey, let's go build some houses, but all we're going to do is build the crawl space. Joe's a builder. He could tell us that's not much of a house, is it? Just the crawl space. But that's what we have in this nation because that's been the focus is simply just getting people converted. And then what do we do with them? And today, unfortunately, we have churches full of crawl space Christians. That's all they are. They're the crawl space. In some cases, unfortunately, I think they're false converts. In other cases, they're baby Christians. And they've never grown past that crawl space level. But here at the Church of Blue Ridge, we want to grow the full house. We want to build the full house. Yes, we want to see people get saved. That's the beginning. You can't build a Christian on a faulty foundation. We need that. But then it's not just about the foundation. We want to see the whole house and structure grow to maturity. And that's what we're looking at here today. That's why I fell in love with the church at Cherrydale. I was a pastor for eight years in downtown Greenville, reading books by guys like Mark Dever and others of, of the New Testament church model that we need to get back to making disciples through and in the local church. And then to find out there was a church right here in Greenville doing that, getting back to that New Testament model, that New Testament paradigm, 
never dreaming that a year and a half later God would bring me in to be part of their church plant, which we're doing now, the Church of Blue Ridge. And it's exciting. It's exciting to have men like Matt Rogers and Mark Devers and others who's wakening us up, getting us back to how they did it in the Bible and away from the crawlspace Christian paradigm. So that's really important for us. And you'll see this passage from in Luke. I love this. This is the call right here. Very similar. Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, i.e. be a follower of Jesus, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the call he's placing on us, to go and to make disciples of all nations. Now, how's that going to look here at the Church of Blue Ridge? Well, in some ways, we already see some of these things coming into being that Robert and I have dreamed of. We've got one-to-one discipleship happening. It's just simply two people getting together and, and spending time in God's Word living life together, we encourage that greatly. Uh, there's two men in the church right now that I spend time with them two or three, three times a month, just getting together and talking and looking at Scripture. That's an important part of it. Small groups is really the heart of making disciples. It's hard to grow as a Christian without a meaningful connection to a small group. To a small group. So small groups are huge for us. Robert's going to preach a sermon in a few weeks on our core value of community. And talk a lot about that importance of getting together in smaller groups and and sharing and and caring and coming alongside each other is crucial. So that's a big part of our disciple uh, disciple making. Uh, Also counseling. Uh, Doing some premarital counseling right now. It's exciting. But we also have counseling for for marriage problems, for any type of situation where Christians really just get into a ditch. And need a little bit of help getting back up on the road. So that's part of disciple making as well. This, the corporate element, is huge. Coming together together. As a large group, to worship God, to hear from God is so crucial in the life of our congregation. And we have men right now connecting on Friday mornings, two Friday mornings a month. We meet at the Hungry Drover. We're going through Matt Rogers' Aspire book. We're only in week four, so it's a good time to jump on. If you're not a part of that, just let me know about that if you're interested. So these are just a few ways that we really want to build the building of you all and not just have crawl space Christians. So Making disciples is huge. It's just the beginning. We're going to be talking so much more about this as we continue, especially the next four weeks. But please come and ask us about some of these different opportunities that we have here. So we've seen the first two parts, all authority, all nations. And finally, in the last part of verse 19 and verse 20, all he commanded his word. So we have the the authority and the power of our commander, right? Then we have the mission. This is what we are to do. Now we're given the tool. The tool for making disciples, the primary tool, is the Word of God. All that He commanded. And you see this. You see the next two participles, if you will, that help us understand what making disciples means. We saw go. We looked at go. Now we're going to look at baptizing and mainly teaching. So pick back up with me in the middle of verse... uh, Actually, we'll just reread verse 19 again. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What a great passage. Uh, What we see here, what jumps out right away is baptizing. That's the first, the second participle, if you will, that's helping us understand what making disciples is. Baptizing. Now, baptizing represents initiation. It's the one-time beginning of coming into discipleship, if you will. So when a person is saved, and that's what we think about with baptism, because a conversion has just happened. The person has just come to faith in Christ. The very first thing they're commanded to do is to be baptized, to seek 
baptism. And so baptism is that initiation, the one-time event. The second, as we're going to look at in a moment, is teaching. That's the ongoing. So baptism is one time at the beginning. Teaching takes over, and it's going to be something that characterizes our discipleship all the way until we die or the Lord comes back. It's continual, never-ending. Now, for us, baptism is something that is done for believers. We're Baptists, so we don't baptize babies. We baptize believers. And this passage really, to me, screams that has to be the case because how can a baby be a disciple? Anybody have a baby who's already a born-again disciple, reading the Word? No, not at all. We, it's obvious. You baptize disciples. So the order is very clear. We baptize believers, and we also baptize by immersion. And that's actually what this Greek word signifies. It's the, the immersion. It was something that was already being done in Israel. As Gentiles would become Jews, they would actually immerse them. They would baptize them. We see evidence with John the Baptist, how they came up out of the water. So that's how we baptize. Like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We'll get more into that as we actually do some baptisms as, as a church. But what's really cool to see here, too, is look at that, the triune formula. Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinity marking them. And it's just incredible because if someone cannot be or is not being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not Christianity. The Christian God is one, but he exists in three persons. This is the foundation of this faith and of the Lord that has saved and called us. Father, Son, and Spirit. So, again, I could spend a lot of time talking to Trinity. That's not the point of the sermon. So I'm going to move on from that. But baptism really becomes special when you look at it in the mission field. I don't know if you guys know missionaries who are in Muslim countries. Um, I mean, it's very important here. I don't want to lessen the importance of it here in America. But we have some friends right now serving in Turkey. And um, I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm not supposed to say where they're at. So I won't say their names. But they're serving in Turkey. And we get their newsletter. And it's, it's, it's exciting and heartbreaking at the same time because they're always sharing as these young Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being saved. And before they go swimming, that's what they call it. It's kind of the code word so they don't get in trouble in case their correspondence are intercepted. But before they get baptized, they send them home to tell their family, knowing in most cases they're going to be disowned. So for them, there's such a price with getting baptized. It, it really it, it captures the full meaning and power of this incredible act of initiation in, in identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, sh- and sometimes they don't come back. They never see these people again, which is really heartbreaking. Other times they do come back. You see pictures of them getting baptized. And then that's it. Their family's gone, at least their earthly family. And so that, if you read some of those stories, it really brings out the meaning of baptism. But let's turn our attention to teaching. This is the, the final participle that helps us understand what disciple-making involves. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Jesus gives us many commands in the, in the Gospels. But his last command is obey all my commands. And this, of course, we could enlarge to the entire New Testament because the New Testament is all based upon the gospel and Jesus' commands as well as the explanations and applications to the life of believers and the life of churches and the rest of the New Testament. Look at this passage from Hebrews, which really also shows us that Jesus' commands encompass all of the Old Testament as well. The writer of Hebrews begins, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. So the word of God is our primary tool 
to take to the nation, to, to shape and train our people, to grow us beyond just simply a crawl space Christian into the full vessel, the full home, the full building, to operate together, to take the gospel to the nations, to make disciples wherever God is calling us to be and go, calling us to go. So there's nothing that he has said that isn't used, and it is all about his word. And the word of God is the transforming tool that makes us more like Christ and also converts the sinner to faith in Jesus. And I'll preach on the core value of Scripture in a couple weeks, so we'll save that more for then. But just really wanted to show you guys, as we look at our mission statement, how does it line up? Does the Church of Blue Ridge mission statement that we looked at at the beginning, which I'll read again, if I can... uh, find it in my notes. I should have it memorized, but to make faithful disciples through the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God. I actually do have it memorized, but I'd rather read it. I'd rather not get it wrong here. To make faithful disciples through the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God. And I think, I believe, and Robert believes that it lines up perfectly with what Jesus Christ is calling all Christians to do and to be a part of his great commission, his great commission. And as I close this time and close this sermon, uh, two things, actually three things. First, uh, I was reminded this week in my time of study of the great Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton. In 1913, he uh, created an expedition called the Endurance Expedition where, you know, the, the South Pole was his dream, but somebody got there ahead of him. But he had this other idea. Let's go. Let's take a group of men. We're going to hike the entire Antarctic continent from one end to the other. That was his mission. And uh, apparently, now there's a lot of speculation whether this actually was true, but apparently he put this ad in a local paper in London. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Let's go, right? Now, we don't know historically if he actually put this in the newspaper. There's a lot of questions. But what is historical is the fact that there were men lined up around the block to come and sign up for this expedition. Now, they didn't get to, their their ship got destroyed by the ice before they even really got there, but they did all survive. It's an incredible story of survival. Um, But nonetheless, this is the mission. This is what God's calling us to. Um, It's not about comfort. It's not, you know, there's no guarantee that we'll see earthly success, but honor and recognition, not our own, but the glory of God. The glory of God. Now, next week, we begin looking at the core values. Robert's going to be preaching next week to start us off with the core value of kingdom, where we're going to learn about for his glory, for his kingdom, and talk more about the authority of God and calling us to these things. But the other thing I want to do now, as far as invitation goes, first and foremost, of course, the gospel. We don't want to preach on the Great Commission without saying to anyone in here who's, who's not sure of where they are with God, we call on you to recognize your separation and sin from God, turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. That's why we're here. And it would be a crime for us to not mention that and give an opportunity for you this morning. Now, we're not going to have a formal invitation where you come up front, but, but we're going to be in the back. We're going to be around. Come and grab one of us, myself, Robert, some of the others. We would love to share with you more about this gospel and about how you can come to faith in Christ, how God saves uh, those who repent and believe.